This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to episode 17 of the Practice of Learning Teams. This episode is going to be slightly different today. Hopefully, the background music may give you some hint as to the country of origin of our very special guest. On today's show, we are joined by one of Canada's great sons of safety, Jeffrey Life. Not only is Jeff a practitioner of the new view of safety, he's also the host of the Safety Differently Forum and is very passionate about people and safety. I have to say that during the challenging times of 2020, meeting Jeff and getting to know him and his thoughts has been one of the highlights of that year. During the recording of the session with Jeff and my colleague and fellow author, Glynis McCarthy, we covered a wide range of topics about learning teams. The content was so good, we have decided to make this a two-part series. In part one, Jeff shares his views on leadership thinking in the boardroom versus the front line, how learning teams completes the new view of safety, on how to prepare leaders for success with learning teams, the importance of creating a safe space for workers and leaders with learning teams, and lastly, how learning teams create transparency in the uncertainty of risk. During parts of this podcast, the tables were turned and Glynis and myself were interviewed by Jeff about our thoughts on how learning teams are evolving, which was a wonderful experience and a welcome change. In part two, we will explore the future of learning teams with Jeffrey Life. At the end of the part two episode, I'll then be joined by both Glynis and Brent Robinson, where we'll reflect on Jeff's discussion. Welcome, Jeff, to the podcast series. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, look, it's, a, it's our pleasure. And look, I've been really keen to get you on the show for quite some time. Um, basically, to hear for the listeners to hear about all the good things that you were doing in your neck of the woods. What did we talk about? What did we say about overpromising? What did we <laughs> say about that, Brent? <laughs> and of course, you've, you've, you've appeared a couple of times with uh, Dr. Todd Conklin. Correct. And uh, obviously, um, yeah, you're doing some uh, amazing work in the whole sort of hop and the learning team space. And I thought it was really valuable for the listeners to basically hear about how your journey started. Happy to share. Um, yeah, absolutely. Happy to share whatever I can. It's, a, it's all a work in progress. And I think the more our community stays together and, and shares and, and, and we have dialogue like this, the better. So like I say, really just honored to be here. That's great. So, how did it all come about, Jeff? Well, I was born. No, um, <laughs> I, I, I began my career um, in safety in the around '92 ish, um, and hadn't really given safety a thought, and and really hadn't by '92 ish. In fact, I had trained as a first aid attendant, and then when I was an, employed in that capacity. Um, what they really wanted was was prevention, compliance, and, and and safety. And so, you know, my career 
uh, from then up until around uh, 2010, uh, to me, really matched the, uh, kept pace with the evolution of of safety management in in the construction sector. In that, uh, you know, early on, there was a real cause and effect relationship between the things we did to improve safety and their their obvious outcomes. But, you know, 20 years down that road, terrific career, career I'm so grateful for. Um, and yet, uh, I couldn't really draw that line anymore. I was, I was director of safety. I was uh, a minister of a, a program over multiple work sites. But, you know, that cause and effect linkage, the, the benefit we were bringing was, was completely obscured to me. And, and some things started happening uh, in the jurisdiction that, uh, again, caused me to to reflect on what we were doing in safety management. Somebody I had previously worked with was killed in an accident, and we had two very high-profile explosions here in in lumber mills in 2012. And so that was the huge, uh, you know, change point I think in my in my career is that in in 2012, after it after 20 years in conventional safety, I thought there had to be something more. Uh, didn't know what it was, but I knew I wasn't going to find it staying where I was. And so on leap year 2012, I made the leap to to step away from that position and, and take the risk of going into what at the time was uncharted waters. To me, it was uncharted waters. Um, so that's so once that change was made, I wasn't aware of any of this new view discussion or safety differently discussion or safety two discussion. Um, and I began with uh, bringing leadership, uh, some leadership thinking, leadership ideas out to the front lines. Do you know, I, I had the benefit of being a part of a lot of executive team discussions around leadership concepts and principles, and we'd talk about all that, and it was terrific. Uh, learned so much in those sessions, but they were boardroom sessions. And so when I went out trying to, you know, make a different kind of difference, uh, one of the first things was to take, you know, the best bits of that of that leadership discussion and take them out to frontline leaders who are out there, um, you know, boots on the ground uh, where their leadership skills were, were really critically important. So it began there and then very quickly I, I discovered safety differently and, and then that the next, the, you know, every, <laughs> all the time since then has been spent learning as much as possible and, and uh, checking all the references, reading many, many references and citations and going down all those rabbit holes and just just trying to grasp all of this information that's been coming online, you know, the last eight or 10 years. Yeah, um, certainly there's a lot of information that, that's come about. So yeah. how did your introduction to learning teams happen? Well, for me, so began, began catching up, I think. Obviously, the new view is not new, right? So in 2012, I began catching up on, you know, the lineage of all these ideas. And for me, learning teams really didn't come along until maybe four, four years ago, I'm, I'm guessing, three or four years ago, it emerged, uh, the concept emerged as a tool. And, and uh, it just, I think it really was like, uh, it was a real boost. It, 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 it was really needed to, to, to complete the, the view we were having or to, certainly now I'm, I'm mostly interested in integration and hop integration and exactly how we do that. And I think that uh, learning teams is, is by far and away uh, the most significant uh, activity uh, that happens on that journey. Right, because do you think it sort of try, tries to help to humanize? 
Well, I, I absolutely. Um, but it, yeah, and it's the pre-work. It's that I, I believe very much that that a really proper conceptual foundation has to be laid before we go there. At least that's my you know my approach is that I we 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 strive to to ensure that we have so much dialogue around the concepts and the principles. And I think that um, when we get, if we're talking about an organization and we're, we're talking about their senior leaders, managers, once we're at about a, maybe a 60% uh, fluency rate or 60% or buy-in, if you will, I think is the perfect time to coach them in, in, in holding, having their first learning team in-house because the results of, of that um, just really come back around and kind of prove the points in their own language, in their own terms, in their own house. And you'll know when we haven't sufficiently gotten to that point in the minds of the leaders, um, an organization has gone and, and uh, conducted their first learning team. And, and when the results were brought back, the senior leadership team was really arguing with those results mm-hmm. and, and having a difficult time accepting that, that that could be true or, or what that was about. So there's a real indicator that, that not enough time was spent in the preparation, I think, um, to really tee that up for, for success. Because contrast that with the experience in some other orgs, that when you're at that, whatever ballpark, 60% uh, buy-in spot, and you, you convene a learning team, and you come back and you table the, these results, and, and uh, incredible, incredible response to... Um, to people learning how much there is to learn in their own organization. And that's such a huge aha moment. And I suppose sometimes you actually, well, I've actually seen like a physical awakening that occurs. Mm. You can actually physically Mm. see the sudden shift and and like this little light bulb moment sort of gone off. Yeah. And the neurons are flowing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think some, some really... Oh, sorry, Glennis. Validation kind of tool. I'm sorry. Could you say that the learning teams then are almost like a validation tool um, for how well HOP has been integrated? I I believe so. Yeah. Well, yeah. How well it's understood initially. I mean, in the in over the over time, when more conducted, uh, absolutely. But I think it's that first. You know, we've been planting the seeds, and it's proof of concept that first time. That and and people really do respond to it either I think intellectually because they're you know they're processing the rich context of their own operations and and sometimes I think people really respond uh, more almost emotionally in that uh, we've had managers come and say you know over the course of their career they've had to take disciplinary action on people and do things that they that just never sat right with them so whether it's whether it's a head or heart uh, switch <laughs> or both that is, that is flicked. I think it's the preparation and the discussion and then the evidence uh, that can be brought to bear through, through that first learning team experience. And to me, that, that throws the door wide open to operational learning in all its forms, in all its sizes. Yeah, I agree with you. It is a bit of a leap of, of faith at the beginning, isn't it? It's about people finding a voice and for that voice to be recognized. Um, I also think that you know you kind of there has to be some maturity in the space, yeah, for for organisations to get the value from it, as well as those people participating in it. 
In the learning team itself, yeah. Um, creating the safe space. It's, in, it's interesting too, though, it parallels to me that we have to make it safe for the executive to, to step away uh, however much from, from the, their tried and presumably true, true to them, <laughs> tried and true uh, means of, of doing what they do. It, it's, it's incredibly vulnerable and we need to make it safe for executives, um, not in a dissimilar way than we have to make it safe for participants on the team. Yeah. Which, which really means that, that, that a facilitator becomes really important. Yes. Absolutely. Um, Cannot disagree. Yeah. And we found, you know, some, the people that have really emerged as great facilitators in many cases wouldn't have been the individuals the organization would have, would have chosen looking at their org chart. There are people that have gone through those foundational sessions and resonated and then participated and added to the discussion. It's a, it's a, they're willing, they, they get it, they're, they're inspired by it. And, and those people I found really go on. Those that are still, you know, needing something more mechanical or, a, 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 you know, more of a, a step-by-step prescribed approach, uh, struggle and uh, lots of coaching is needed there. And I think that's um, reflective that everyone's learning journey is different. Right. And that, you know, we're trying to build these soft skills for people and not, not everyone has those soft skills. So yes, agreed. Um, it's interesting the part of the hop integration journey of which, you know, learning teams come along as a huge, a huge part, you know, fairly early in the process. Um, but it changes the job for senior managers and, and they're, they're, caution around it um, uh, is, is, is well-founded to them, I think. I mean, it's, this is, we're saying well, blaming is so convenient and, and simple. It's, it's very efficient and at doing what they think it does. And when we, when we switch here, um, their job changes. Their job just used to be to dole out the discipline and ensure the investigation and some corrective actions are done and do a stand down where they stand and bark at people, you know, and then back to work. It's, you barely have to leave your desk other than for the stand down. And so when we, when we have, when we start talking now about, about these rich contextual antecedents to behavior, um, what that feels like to them is, is, um, well, I've heard, I've, I've heard them say it's giving the asylum over to the, to the, to the inmates or what have you, which I think is horrible. Um, but it, it changes the job of management. Now you've got all this context to manage. You can't just assume that all these contextual influences over the work are perfect. And, and that's, I think it's burdensome, I think, on some managers. It's, it feels like liability that they're, that they're, if they absolve workers, then, then they're taking it all on themselves. And so we really have to navigate that, that, um, you know, what we're unearthing, I think, when we unpack this context is in such detail that, that I don't know that it, you know, what we unearth necessarily is bi some big red flag waving bit of negligence or oversight or violation or something. It's, it's quite often in the details. So, but it, it really does change the job of, of management for some. And, and um, there are those that embrace that change and evolve into the sort of the new century or, or, or those that will resist. And, it, and I fear for them because it, you know, times are moving and changing and evolving. And some managers have got their whole career invested in getting where they are. 
and I'm afraid that if they are unable to evolve, it's almost a career-limiting stance to take. And, and we, um, uh, you know, believe the market is changing and that as the world looks um, sort of post-pandemic, that organisations start to move into that whole sort of recovery mode. And a lot of questions get start to be asked around how do we um, optimise safety? How does safety bring value to the organisation? How right. do we get rid of some of the waste that we've accumulated over this period of time? Right. It's an amazing opportunity the, that um, how well, for the most part, how well many organizations have been able to do in the absence of a plan and dealing with things that are emerging and being very fluid and adaptable. Um, what organizations have realized about, about the, the strength, the amazingness of their people when their people come together in times like these and, and pull together and, and, and in many cases have to go off script and, or black line and, and, and really make things work. Like it, this has been such an experience that I hope beyond hope that we can, we can keep some, some of these points going for us in, into the next year and that we uh, become less rigidly fixed on plans and rigid plans and, and we think more of our people we've seen we've seen greatness in people come out in these times and we've seen that things go well if we're adaptable and fluid and thinking fast I mean it's been yeah it's been a bit tiring right it's <laughs> but it's I think the benefits the benefits of having been through this experience hopefully carry on but we also want people to feel psychologically safe Mm -hmm. They feel that they're physically safe, mm -hmm. but they're also mm -hmm. psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. And I think things like COVID-19 has really um, affected people's own self component in that. And, and what we're seeing is that, that learning teams are, are, are really a great way of being able to bring that out and help to normalize that at the same time. Because they're hearing from others about similar journeys. This thing that right. they internalized, they're now able to externalize and hear that other people, and they're also hearing that, that the people that supervise them or the people that manage them are just as human as well. So can I ask, ask a question back in this discussion of ours? Of course you can. So, so organizations themselves and the people at the top of organizations, uh, you know, there's so much noise in the safety space about, about really criminalizing the, the organization and vis-a-vis and, and -vis perhaps the people at the head of the organization. So the internalization of that criminalization, if you will, and passing it down the organizational chart, um, um, what are your thoughts on, on um, affecting that? Because you know, I, I, I think that's one of, one of the things that creates the hurdles that we then have to come across is that uh, the simplest thing for those senior leaders to do is pass down this punitive, uh, you know, strict liability type of approach. And in that worldview, the old way makes perfect sense. So what are your thoughts on communicating with senior leaders when they themselves face criminalization and we're saying, don't internalize and pass on that punitive, retributive kind of view? Well, look, the, the reality is that the criminal code that exists for breaches of health and safety is based on that. It is based on blame. 
it's based on retribution. Mm-hmm. There is a victim, a person who gets hurt, and there is a perpetrator, the party that causes hurt. That never changes. I think what's different here is that when the event happens and when the red lighter becomes involved, the red lighter is looking to identify the difference between blue line, black line. That they that they prey on the difference between workers imagined and workers um, as done. And hmm. that's the entire focus. So what we talk about is that if that gap between workers imagined and workers done starts to uh, widen over time, and that gap starts to shift from being a gap to a chasm, then that chasm is the liability you're going to face when the event occurs. Hmm. So what a learning team is really good at doing is it's basically good at trying to allow that gap not to become a chasm. Because risk has to ebb and flow through the organization and through the supply chain and and the contract chain. So, and no matter what happens, there's always going to be a gap. The difference is you can step over a gap and manage the risk with it. With a chasm, you fall through it. And in my 18 years of dealing in human misery, okay to focus on culpability okay it's okay because it's a form of risk management but at the end of the day all the ugliness comes out when something goes wrong learning team helps to really reduce that level of ugliness that comes about in in that way and every country has different jurisdiction applies different rules and logic but you know that the regulator is looking for that gap well said Brent thank you (laughs) that's helpful well we've had uh, as a guest uh, Brent Sutton on Jeff's podcast today (laughs) no I think it's I I completely agree Um, that that makes perfect sense you know I think that regulators take that approach with organizations because they're external and that's it's really probably all they can do for the most part. But uh, that said, I, I completely agree and, and really support these alternatives to, to enforcement that we're, that we're talking about these days, you know, um, at all levels of, of regulatory enforcement. But inside an organization, I mean, there's no need to internalize those constructs that, that maybe have to exist out in society as a whole, in our houses, in our cultures. Um, you know, we, we can avail ourselves of so many more tools than simply you know, you know, hierarchical command and control and authority and, and discipline, right? Like that's, that's really where I think we've erred is, or what's made sense for the last however many years is, is that's how safety works, right? Uh, we, we, we count it in insurance metrics and we achieve it through enforcement just like the regulator does. And yet under our roofs, we have a world of options beyond that. Look, we, we do. And, you know, the reality is that behavior is driven through fear Fear is driven through uncertainty, and uncertainty is driven by not understanding what value your safety brings to both the organization and to workers, because it's only workers who are exposed to residual risk. Workers don't really give a shit whether you give risk a number, a color, or a label. It's meaningless. But they're the only people exposed to it. 
the organization is exposed to liability if they don't get that residual risk right. Right, so right. I think, you know, learning teams has that power of creating that transparency for people to then understand what that uncertainty is and for them to have a plan then to how to reduce that uncertainty over time. And, and would you agree that the, the, that laying a good foundation, I mean, before, you know, embarking on this, this, that, the learning team part of the journey, but what we were speaking of earlier about, about that found laying those foundations in an effective way in your experience, has that been, is that as critical to you as it feels like to me? Look, it is from the point of trying to normalize it with managers that they're going to feel different things at different times and that they are equally as an important part of the journey as others. But what they're going to see and what others are going to see is they're going to see things through the lens of other people for, for once in their life. And looking at life through a different lens is not comfortable. Right. So, so our job is to basically um, provide that psychological safety for them as well. Right. The same coaching and mentoring. And the best way to do that is to normalize it. I think there's also a difference between a one-off um, event, so doing a learning team as a one-off over a particular topic or, or um, area of business, uh, versus something that's sustained into practice. I think if it's something that is sustained into ongoing practice, then it does need to have um, a, a, a different approach. You know, you need to have a certain maturity within the organisation. You need to have a certain skill level in the organisation. There kind of have to be some ground rules that have been decided that everybody plays to. Um, and so I think that that's a different proposition than when you're using a learning team to solve a particular issue or to explore an issue in more depth. Yeah, good, excellent point. I mean, our most of the work I do is, is about uh, help, uh, evolution is a term that we use, and just helping organizations evolve their practice of safety. So very interested in that long-term piece. And, and to that end, spend a lot of time at the front end sort of preparing the organization for that so that, so that operational then, operational learning in all its forms and degrees really continues and, and becomes, becomes the new normal. Um, I'm sad when we, when you do some work and we go in and we can create that psychological safety and we can convene a learning team in an effective way, but when those results are argued with, you know, when the organization argues with the reality of those results and is still troubled, it's, you know, to me, it's a lot of prep. We were on the cusp of great change and we didn't quite get there. So, so uh, I'm really cautious about, about that, a, a one of, um, because for that reason, you know, my interest is, is, is I don't, the work I do is not really helping organizations with, with one learning team. It's, it's creating change, a lasting change in the organization. Certainly what we've seen, Jeff, and how we have sort of evolved our learning teams is to make sure that when the organization gets that feedback, that there's, there's three parts that feedback. There's that, what did the organization learn? that learning team what did workers learn from that learning team and what did the facilitator learn hmm. because they're all quite different things absolutely and and i think sometimes what organizations do is they struggle to uh con contextualize the context of how it was said 
and, and hence the reason why that when we uh, in the book the practical learning teams we put that spin model in the book as a way of contextualizing that conversation that um, many managers are, are used to having to fix things and their decision making is based on things that they're thinking about but if we could break that down so that they could get better understanding of the situation that that workers organization was facing what problem did that situation give from an organization and a work perspective what's the implication for both workers and organizations if we don't change it and then what's the need and i and i think even i know it sounds completely basic but just being able to show that little journey on, on, a, on an A4 or a US letter, what we've found is it's given people huge context and they sit there and they go, wow, yeah. now we understand. If we yeah. give them an output, a single output, they're then saying, what, what do you mean by this? What if yeah. people think that? Makes sense? And, and, and this is the struggle. So we need to um, paint the story much because a learning team is about capturing the stories how do we paint the story at the other end yeah excellent yeah I'm, i i think based on that it's it's organizations that allow this process to take place but they're really not ready to learn this way and so they're going to you know those organizational learnings are going to be denied i think facilitators probably almost always learn if they're reflecting on their practice um you know and i hope worker learnings is interesting we we had a terrific experience in a in an organization that was pretty um uh labor relations intense <laughs> shall we say and and we were meeting with the uh the highest level of unionized workforce and the the lowest level of the the managerial workforce and um you know, through the process, it, it wasn't a formal learning team as such. It was some workshopping, though, that was very dialogic and, and inclusive and, and, you know, practiced some of the same things. But, you know, the, 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 a profound learning that came away there was, was what the various stakeholders had in common and, and not their differences. And I, and I reflected on that and thought that almost any other approach to that organization and that piece of work would have would have hunkered down behind those divisions and and that and and really what we experienced was this uh, uh, empathy for the other side, if you will, that really an understanding and an appreciation and and um, so what emerged from that was different ways of working together. What was former formerly uh, adversarial and contentious, um, they found common ground through the process of of going through this. So I completely agree. Organizational learning, worker learning, and and facilitator learning are key. Yeah, and being able to express that and acknowledge that and then work with that, all those things yeah. become um, um, important in that process. Yeah. Please join us for part two of this podcast called Episode 19, where we continue the conversation with Jeff and we explore the future of learning teams. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com And 
be part of the community practice of Learning Teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.